The following message is by Pastor Jason Pauley. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. God, I pray that you'd be with us as we look to your word, that you would guide us, direct us through it, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. Father God, I pray for the churches that are meeting today up and down the coast and around the world, that you would be with them and that they too would worship you in spirit and in truth. Father God, I pray for the people in this community and the people around the world that as we look toward the Christmas season, as we begin to celebrate this season, God, that hearts would be turned toward you and that your believers would be quickened to share your gospel. God, I just pray and ask that you'd be with me as I present your word right now, that if there's any word or any thought that is not from you, that you would take those words from my mouth and replace them with words that are from you. God, I praise you for your faithfulness. I praise you that you have promised us that when we gather together, you are here with us and we just pray your blessing upon us now. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to finish up a four-week series on the book of Haggai. And I pray that it's been a blessing to you as I know that it has been to me. Now before we look at today's text, I just want to do a a brief review of Haggai's first three messages. In the first message, God speaks to the people of Israel and He encourages them to rebuild the temple. He comes to them and He says, This people says, the time has not come. Even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. So the people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple. And the Lord asks them, He says, Is it time for you to dwell in paneled, fancy, ornate houses while my house lies desolate? And the obvious answer to such a question is no. They needed to realign their priorities. And thus, that first message in Haggai is all about kingdom priorities. The importance of doing God's work. And it kind of sets the theme for the entire book. And then in that second message, we saw that the people humbled themselves. And they obeyed the voice of the Lord. And they have a a reverence, a holy fear of God. In other words, they saw the importance of His kingdom. They saw the importance of His ways over and above their own ways, over and above their own kingdom. And in that first step of obedience, they had reverence for the Lord, and that reverence naturally resulted in further obedience. And they went back to rebuilding the temple. But then after only about three and a half weeks of construction, the people began to get discouraged. They looked around, they saw that the temple that they were building seemed like nothing compared to the glorious temple of King Solomon. That is, they saw that this temple was but a shadow of the one that was previously standing in its place. And then God, in the midst of their discouragement, comes to them with a second message. And He tells them to be diligent, to continue the work of rebuilding the temple. He says to them, take courage, because I am with you. And He says, the work you're doing, it's not insignificant. Because I will fill this house with my glory. And then in the third message, which we saw last week, the Lord comes to the people and He corrects some poor theology that they had. It seems as though the people began to think that if they worked on the temple, that if they participated in religious activities, that somehow they were becoming holy. They began to think that if they did holy work, that they too would become holy. And God says, that's not the case at all. In fact, every work of their hands, everything they offer, he tells them, is unclean. It's tainted by sin. 
And he reminds them that he would be the one who would build his kingdom. That he would be the one who would build his temple and fill it with glory. And he reminds them they need to rely on him for strength to do his work. They need his grace. So that's the background, the first three messages of Haggai. Now without further ado, let's look at our text this morning. Haggai 2, verses 20-23. through If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Haggai 2, verses 20-23. through Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So the first point in your sermon outline is a coming judgment. The first point is a coming judgment. Look at verses 20 through 22 again. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time. We read that it happened on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders. They'll all go down, everyone by the sword of another. So first we see that this fourth message from the Lord comes to Haggai on the same day as the third. By our calendar, it's December 20th, 520 B.C. So it's the same day as last week's message. But this message is a little different. It's different in that in all the other messages, the Lord is speaking to a different audience, or primarily to a different audience. In this message, the Lord tells Haggai to speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. Whereas in the first three messages, those messages were directed to Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, and all the people. So since this message was given specifically to Zerubbabel, it's especially important for us to understand a little bit, about, a little bit more about who he was. And you can pray for me. Having a message where you have to say Zerubbabel 50 times or 60 times is quite challenging in and of itself. So we need to understand who this Zerubbabel was. Well, the name Zerubbabel means offspring of Babylon. See, Zerubbabel was born, he was raised by a foreign nation. And his name literally means offspring of Babylon. But we also know that he was a descendant of David, an heir to the throne of Judah. And when we read Matthew 1.12 that details the lineage of Jesus, we read that it says, after the deportation to Babylon... Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. So here's Zerubbabel in the lineage of Jesus. He's a descendant of David, heir to the throne. Now I want to make just a bit of a side note here. I just want to kind of step aside, make a little bit of a side note. This lineage stuff can get rather confusing, especially since some of the people 
within Scripture are referred to by different names by various authors and various contexts. It's kind of like uh, to the boys, to the baddie boys, I'm Pastor Polly, right? To Bill, I prefer that he call me Jason. Some people call me Mr. Polly. In fact, I was about seven before I realized that my name wasn't Pigface Jace, because that's what my sisters called me growing up. So in different contexts, we have different names by which we're referred to. So when the point is, when you hear the names Jeconiah, Kaniah, Jehoiakim, it's all the same person. Okay, so Jeconiah, Kaniah, Jehoiakim, it's all the same person. It's Zerubbabel's grandfather. So in this lineage, we have Josiah. If you remember Josiah in the Old Testament, good king, right? And Josiah is followed by Jehoiakim, who is a very bad king when you read the Old Testament. And then Jehoiakim has a son, and his name is Jehoiakim. And Jehoiakim reigns and rules just before the people are taken into Babylonian captivity. And he has a son named Shealtel, and Shealtel is not a king because they're in Babylonian captivity. And then comes Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel's the governor. He's brought back to serve as governor. And his grandfather was the last king that had served over Judah. Now Jehoiakim, Zerubbabel's grandfather, was 18 years old, according to the book of 2 Kings, when he became king. And he reigned only three months and ten days before Babylon came and took his people into captivity. And we don't know a lot about Jehoiakim during this very short reign. The scripture says very little about what he did. But we do know that in three months and ten days, he was pretty disobedient to the Lord in that short period of time. Because in 2 Kings 24.9 it says, He, Jehoiakim, did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. So he's been king for three months, and within three months, Scripture says he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. He was just like dear old dad. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. And if you read about him in Jeremiah 22, verses 24 through 27, it says this. It says, as I live, declares the Lord. So the Lord says, as I live, even as I am alive today, and as long as I am alive, it's going to be a long time, right, for God, as long as I'm alive, even though Kaniah, Jehoiakim, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, even though he were a signet ring on my right hand, yet I would pull you off. And I will give you over into the hand of those who are seeking your life. Yes, into the, into the hand of those whom you dread, even to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. goes on and says, I will hurl you and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you will die. But as for the land to which they desire to return, they will not return to it. So within three months and ten days, we have this, we have this picture, this picture of the evil deeds that Jehoiakim did in his time as king. And God says, if you were a signet ring, I would pull you off my right hand. And this and, this, and the prophecy that follows, including not having a son, because what follows, he says, you won't, you're not going to have a son who sits on the throne. That's precisely what happened to Jehoiakim. 
He was never allowed to return to the land of Judah. And Shealtiel, who is his son, doesn't get to serve as king. He spends his days in Babylon. But now, here's his grandson, Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel has been allowed to return to the land of Judah. See, up raises this king, this King Cyrus, and he says to the Jews, he says, why don't you go back? Why don't you go back to your land? Why don't you rebuild this temple? And you know what, Zerubbabel? Why don't I make you governor over this people so you can facilitate the rebuilding of this temple? So here's Zerubbabel, but he's not serving as their king. He's serving as a governor under the authority of the the Persians. And he does this, and as he does this, he's keenly aware of his family's sin. He's keenly aware of his grandfather's sin and his great-grandfather's sin that led at least in part to the destruction of the temple. So as he rebuilds this temple, he can't help but realize that it was his family that helped destroy the temple in the first place and the nation really as a whole. But Zerubbabel, while he's keenly aware of that, he would have also been keenly aware of God's promise to David. See, God had promised David that one of his descendants would sit on the throne of God's kingdom forever. Look at 1 Chronicles 17, 11-4 with me. 1 Chronicles 17, 11-14. Excuse me. 1 Chronicles 17, 11-14. says this, When your days are fulfilled, that you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up one of your descendants after you, who will be one of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. I will not take away my loving kindness from him, as I took it away from him who was before you. But I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. So God comes to David and he promises him, he says, A descendant of yours will reign on this throne forever. And Zerubbabel is keenly aware of that while serving as governor. And God comes to him, he comes to him, and he graciously gives him a picture of his plans for the future. He says, Zerubbabel, I have plans for my people. I have plans to keep my promise to David and his offspring. Now look at verses 21 through 22 with me again of Haggai chapter 2. 21 through 22. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, So the Lord says, tell Zerubbabel this, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of kingdoms and of the nations. And I will overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. This language is quite similar to what we saw a couple of weeks ago in Haggai 1, verses 6-7. through Remember Haggai 1, verses 6-7, through when the Lord came to the people in their midst of their discouragement, and He says, once more, in a little while, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. He says, yet once more, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations 
and they will come with the wealth of the nations. See, God is letting Zerubbabel know that though kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, may rise and fall, that one day God is going to overthrow them all. That even though God's people, they've had to subject themselves to the Babylonians and the Persians, that He's going to come and He's going to establish a kingdom. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. One that ultimately will last forever. See, all the kingdoms of the world, not just the Babylonians, not just the Persians, but all the kingdoms of this world are going to be destroyed. The Lord is bringing Zerubbabel the same message He gave to Daniel just a few years earlier. And in Daniel 2, verse 44, which happened just a few years before uh, the Lord is speaking to Zerubbabel here, He said, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. But it will itself endure forever. So we see in this text, we see a coming judgment. God comes to Zerubbabel through Haggai. And He says there's a coming judgment where the kingdoms of this world, they're going to be destroyed. But then God also delivers hope. He delivers a great hope. So while our first point is a coming judgment, as we move on to our second point, we see a coming king. He says not only is there a coming judgment, but there is a coming king. Look at verse 23 with me. Just a side note, it's interesting that interesting to me that God would place us here in the book of Haggai on the first week of Advent. I planned none of this. I'm not, I'm not good enough to plan out this kind of thing. I knew that I wanted to preach through Haggai. I thought I wanted to preach through Haggai first. I chose instead to start with 1 Peter. And 1 Peter led to 2 Peter. And suddenly, well, I'll do Haggai now. And we end Haggai with a picture of a coming king on the first Sunday of Advent. God is good. Praise God for His faithfulness. Verse 23, it says, On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. And you say, wow! What does that have to do with the coming king? Right? How does that have anything to do with Advent or the coming of Jesus. Well, first off, we see that God calls Zerubbabel my servant. And when we contrast that with the title of what, that title with what God had just said before, remember, God had previously said, this people and this nation, kind of like when I come home from work, right? And Kim says, those kids of yours, you won't believe what they did. The same thing, God says, this people and this nation before me, instead of my people. My nation. And now God, in striking contrast, says, Zerubbabel is my servant. It's an extremely powerful expression of God's care for for Zerubbabel. And in addition, this title, my servant, it's one that's frequently used of King David. So for the Lord to come to Zerubbabel, to call Zerubbabel my servant, is a great honor. But God also says that He will make Zerubbabel like a signet ring. We saw this phrase earlier when we looked at Jeremiah 22. 
We saw it in Jeremiah 22. Remember where he talks about, if you were a signet ring, I'd pull you off. And we, we kind of skipped over it a little bit. We didn't pay that much attention to it. God told Jehoiakim, Zerubbabel's grandfather, he says, if you were a signet ring, I would tear you off my finger. You see, the signet ring was guarded and treasured by the one in authority. A king would use it to press a seal into hot wax, showing that his authority was behind whatever documents it contained. When a document was sealed by the signet ring, it showed that the king's authority was behind that document. Thus, the signet ring represented the king. So Jehoiakim, the owner of his own signet ring, the last king of Judah, would have clearly understood the implication of God coming to him and saying, if you were a signet ring, like the one you wear, like like the one you guard so closely, if you were a signet ring, I would pull you off. In essence, he's saying, Jehoiakim, you don't represent me. So for God to say to anyone, I will make you like a signet ring, is remarkable. For God to come to you or I to say, I will make you like a signet ring. I will have you represent me. My authority will be behind you is amazing. But for God to say this to Zerubbabel, in light of what he said to his grandfather, if you were a signet ring, I'd cast you off. For him to say this to Zerubbabel, who obviously knew that statement that was said to his grandfather, it's nothing short of amazing. God says to Zerubbabel, on that day, on that day, I will overthrow the kingdoms. On that day, I will establish my kingdom and I will take you and I will give you a place of honor like a signet ring. You will represent me for I have chosen you. And Zerubbabel serves as kind of a picture of Christ. A picture of the coming Messiah. One who represents Jesus. One who comes with Christ's authority. And in coming to Zerubbabel in this way, God is letting him know, he's saying, I haven't forgotten my promise to King David. Though just a remnant of people, there's about 50,000 people living in the land, just a small, small number of people. Seems big to us in South Thomaston. 50,000 seems like a lot of people. When we lived in Roanoke, there were 300,000 people in the metropolitan area, and it was a small city. Um, But the nice thing about it was, if you wanted to go grocery shopping at 9 o'clock at night, you could. There was like a place to go. If you needed to buy socks, you could actually buy socks in your town. That's that's another story. Um, Things you can't do when you live in Waldeboro, right? If you're, You're traveling a half hour for anything other than milk or gas. Um, There's plenty of gas stations in Waldeboro and banks. Anyway... Back to our text. So Jehoiakim, he's the owner of this signet ring, and Zerubbabel says, I'm going to make you a signet ring. And Zerubbabel, he's he's being reminded by God, I haven't forgotten my covenant with David. I haven't forgotten what I promised David. There's 50,000 people living in the land, just 50,000 people. They're living in subjection to the Persians. Zerubbabel's family brought brought destruction and judgment to the nation. And God comes to him and encourages him and says, I'm going to keep my promise. He says, I'm going to keep my promise to raise up a descendant of David whose kingdom will never end. 
And God is letting him know that a descendant of David, in fact, a descendant of, of Zerubbabel himself, will indeed reign and rule over the nations forever. And we see that when we read the genealogy of Christ. That there's Zerubbabel's name. That through Zerubbabel would come one who would reign and rule eternally. Now, we have the understanding, the blessing of understanding this text from this side of the cross. See, after Christ's work has been completed, we understand the text more clearly. In fact, the New Testament writer of Hebrews even quotes Haggai in talking about the Jews during the Exodus. He quotes Haggai and he says that talking about these Jews who brought God's judgment upon themselves because of their unbelieving heart, he says in Hebrews 2, 25-29, it says this, See to it that you do not refuse Him who is speaking, God. For if those did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from Him who warns from heaven. He says, the, the Jews in the Exodus, they ignored God speaking to them. How much less are we going to escape if we ignore God speaking to us from heaven? It says, And His voice shook the earth then, but now He has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. That's a quote from Haggai. He says, Yet once more... I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. And then, the writer of Hebrews explains that quote. He says, this expression, yet once more, it denotes the removing of things which can be shaken, as of created things. So he says, what that once more talks about, it talks about removing things that can be shaken, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, Since we have a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service. And then he says, with reverence, a holy fear, with awe, reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. See, the writer of Hebrews, he explains that one day, God will shake the earth and the kingdoms of this world will fall. Imagine God shaking the earth and the kingdoms, all the kingdoms of this world, they're just going to fall. But Christ's kingdom is unshakable, the writer of Hebrews says. And we know that the ultimate fulfillment of Haggai's prophecy is going to be realized when Christ returns to reign and rule on earth. But make no mistake about it, that that's the ultimate fulfillment. But Christ has already been crowned king. That though the ultimate fulfillment lies sometime in the future, Christ has been crowned king. In fact, listen to Christ's response, Jesus' response to Pontius Pilate's questions in John 18, 33-37. You don't have to turn there, but John 18, 33-37, it says, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium, and he summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or did others tell you about me? I love the way Jesus kind of sidesteps that question. He's he's trying to figure out where Pilate, or trying to get Pilate to consider where this line of questioning comes from. Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born. 
And for this, I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. They recognize that I am the King. So while His kingdom exists, while He's been established as King, and while His kingdom is active in the world, we still wait for the day when He returns as He promised He would. And He's going to overthrow the earthly kingdoms. And He's going to reign and rule from earth. Now to be clear, Zerubbabel would not have had this clear of a picture of this prophecy. He didn't have as clear of a picture as we do with this prophecy. Because he didn't have the New Testament. Jesus hadn't come yet. However, that did not diminish the hope that it gave him. For God was coming to Zerubbabel and he's saying, I haven't forgotten my promise. I'm sending a king whose throne will know no end. And you, Zerubbabel, you, Zerubbabel, are going to be part of my plan. You will be a sign of my choice and my authority. And we have the pleasure, the blessing of knowing who that king is. When we read Daniel 7.14, Daniel 7.14 says, And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom to all the peoples, nations, and every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. See, when we read that, we know it's referring to King Jesus, a king who Zerubbabel eagerly awaited. And as we eagerly await Advent, we very much like Zerubbabel eagerly await. Zerubbabel waited and said, A king is coming. A king is coming who is going to reign and rule in righteousness. And in the same way, we eagerly await a king to return. That he has come. He came as a baby in a manger. And we eagerly await his return. So in review, we see first a coming judgment that God will overthrow the kingdoms of this world. And then we see a coming king, that a descendant of David will one day reign over a kingdom that knows no end. So how do we apply all of this to Harmony Bible Church? As we think about God speaking through Haggai to Zerubbabel, how do we apply it to our lives here at Harmony Bible Church? First, If you have not committed your life to Christ, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'd encourage you to recognize the truth of this text. That one, there's a coming judgment. There's a coming judgment that God's going to overthrow the kingdoms of this world. That the things that matter to us will one day not matter. That the things of this world, the, the possessions, the material things, the earthly kingdoms, that God's going to destroy them all, and that a coming king is on his way. That there's there's good news and bad news. The bad news is that there's a coming judgment. The good news is there's a coming king. A descendant of David will one day reign over a kingdom who knows no end. And that king is King Jesus. And I would just encourage you to commit your life to following King Jesus. Make Him the King, the Lord, the Savior of your life. And if you have questions about how to do that, I'd encourage you to come see me. Just come see me. We can talk about what that looks like. You know, we don't ever fully realize when we come to Christ what it means to truly give ourselves up to Him. God's still constantly convicting me of ways where I need to give over more parts of my life. It's like I build a wall and I'm like, God, you can have it all. And He's like, what's behind there? And I'm like, ah, nothing. And I back up a little. I'm like, you can have it all. 
All of it, God. And he's like, well, what's, what's behind there? And, and slowly, I'm, you know, and I'm constantly giving things over to him. But the point is that we are called to lay down our lives before him to the best of our ability and say, I can't do this. I need a Savior. I recognize that I have sinned against you, a holy God, and I need a Savior, one who would come and live and die on the cross for my sins. And I commit my life to the one who did that for me, and I make him my king. But for most of us, we're here this morning because we have done that. We have committed our lives to Christ. We are followers of Christ. And for us, I would say, how do we apply this? Well, four things. Number one, we can live with great hope even though there's evil all around us. We can live in eager expectation of the day when God will judge the kingdoms of this world and He'll do so in righteousness. Even though we currently live in subjection to imperfect earthly authorities, it's not called Babylon anymore, there's new kingdoms, new authorities, we live in subjection to them. A day is coming when those kingdoms will end. Number two, we must not spend our time and energy building our own kingdoms. That if we're going to apply this, we cannot build our own time, spend our own time and energy on building our kingdom. Whether it be our material possessions, building our 401k, building a new house, having a new vehicle, whatever those things are, if we're doing it for our pleasure and our glory, those things become idols in our lives. And just like all other kingdoms, our kingdom too will be brought to an end one day. So we're called to eagerly build His kingdom. To pour into a place where moth and rust, they won't destroy. Knowing that the kingdoms of this world are not going to endure. And then number three, we celebrate a king who has already come at Bethlehem. What a blessing. We celebrate a king who has already come. He came at Bethlehem and he now reigns and rules from heaven. And he reigns and rules over a kingdom without borders. We subject ourselves to King Jesus, knowing that as our King, He is the one who has authority over us. And then number four, we celebrate a King who is coming. So number three is, we celebrate a King who has already come. And number four is, we celebrate a King who is coming. He's coming to reign and rule on earth. A King who will end all pain and all death. A King who will do away with all evil. A king who praised him will one day make all things new. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your grace. God, I just pray that you'd be with us as we consider your words to Zerubbabel, your words through Haggai, the prophet Haggai. God, may we boldly believe in Your promises. God, we know that You have a plan to build and to grow Your church and that it will not be thwarted. God, help us to be eager to be part of that. God, help us to celebrate the birth of Your Son, Jesus, this holiday season. May we remember that our King has come and that we are called to serve Him. But may we also remember that our King is coming, and that though there is a day of judgment coming, that He will reign and rule in righteousness. That He's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to take away all sickness and death and all pain and suffering. 
We just praise you for that and look forward to being part of that kingdom here on earth, even now as we serve His kingdom, though it be a kingdom without borders. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.